everybody that was away this week. Uh, next week, the worship team uh, will be back. I was thinking uh, this morning, I hope nobody thinks that we fired Jason because he had the guitar trouble uh, last week. Uh, now he's away and, and he'll be back uh, this week. But again, we just thank you as well for your singing. Uh, I imagine when we get to heaven, uh, if we lose track of where we are in the accompaniment, the angels will get us right back. But we did really well uh, even without them uh, here this morning. Let's uh, open up to Exodus uh, chapter 12. And we did have uh, that song singing about nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's precisely uh, because we are going to talk about the shed blood of Jesus. And we're going to talk about it in the context of uh, the Old Testament Passover. Of course, as you know, we've been going through Exodus and we've been going through the 12 plagues and the 12 uh, the 10 plagues. Uh, and the last uh, plague is uh, the Passover. And so we want to just talk about that and what is that blood symbolizing. And then, you, you know, you really can't think about the blood shed at Passover without thinking about Jesus Christ. And uh, I didn't intentionally plan it this way, but I just think that it is so wonderful uh, that today is a communion Sunday. Because you think about when did the Lord Jesus Christ institute uh, the Lord's Supper or communion? When he celebrated what? Passover with the disciples. Communion is our Passover meal. And we don't do it once uh, a year. We do it once a month. But you, some churches do it every Sunday. Some churches do it once a year, once every three months. Uh, there, there is no regulation uh, in that sense on it. Open up with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 12. And we're just going to read uh, the first 20 verses this morning. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat and shall make your and shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts of the uh, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Uh, They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it not do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn in this manner. You shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and you shall And your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's uh, Passover for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast and, and all of the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment on them. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, the person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done for those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout the generations, a statute forever, in the first month of the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening." Uh, for seven days, no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened and all your dwelling places. You shall eat uh, unleavened bread. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and, and heavenly father, we do ask that you would speak to us from your word, uh, that you would have something for us that we would learn here this morning. Uh, and that you would just remind us of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice uh, of his shed blood and just how uh, precious uh, that blood is that cleanses us from sin. Uh, we have nothing in and of ourselves to offer before you except our sin. And of course, our sin deserves your judgment. And yet, Lord, you have been so gracious and so merciful. And we see it here at the Passover, but we see it most of all in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Our main point is simply this this morning. Christ is our Passover lamb. So right away, right off the bat, as you think about Passover and you say, OK, well, that's a nice ceremony and that's something they did. You know, that was started uh, over a thousand years ago, not quite two thousand years ago. Uh, and that's for, for Jewish. And this is Old Testament. Uh, right away, you might ask yourself, how is this relevant to me? This is relevant to you and I because it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is nothing more relevant in our lives than knowing Christ and knowing what he has done and reminding ourselves what his blood has accomplished for us. We get so busy in our lives, so sidetracked. We have so many things on our minds, so much uh, stress that we need this one day of the week to focus on the Lord and hear what God has done for us in the gospel. And we are reminded that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. First Corinthians five, seven, speaking to the church in Corinth, they had some sins going on in their midst. And Paul says this, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And Paul is making the case there that if, that if someone is living in sin unrepentantly, there is a process of church discipline. And he uses the analogy, you couldn't have this unleavened bread in your house. You had to have the symbols of purity. Well, Paul says even more, well, in the church now, he knows that we all sin. But he's talking about someone that's living in flagrant sin, not caring, utter unrepentance and disregard for the word of God. And everybody knows it. And why should we be concerned with holiness in the church? Paul says, 
For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's interesting that the Passover lamb is arguably more important in the scriptures than the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is probably the second most important sacrifice in the Old Testament. You think about Christ on the cross. He was a sacrifice of atonement. But what was the season of the year when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified? It was the Passover season. And, and at least one of the Gospels makes the case that while Jesus is in his uh, very trial, the Passover lambs had, had been slaughtered that day or that night. That, it, that it's all just culminating together. And as Jesus goes to the cross, he is the ultimate Passover lamb. And, and so a Jewish person would have heard that and understood when John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they would have made those connections. And of course, we are very distant from that mindset. So it's important sometimes to take a look at some of the Old Testament and say, how has God laid this foundation for us so that we might understand the fullness of what he's done for us, that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. So first this morning, what we want to focus on Passover, the Passover lamb is without blemish. When you pick the Passover lamb to sacrifice this Passover lamb in Egypt, and then as they celebrated it yearly when they were in the land, uh, in the promised land, you picked a lamb without blemish. Why? Well, let's back up and look at the context here. Moses has promised through the Lord, he's promised to Pharaoh that death is coming. The Ten Commandments, or excuse me, the Ten Plagues are reaching their culmination here. And Pharaoh has been warned, he's been warned, he's been warned. He gets stubborn, he gets stubborn, he gets stubborn. Look back in chapter 11, starting in verse 4. Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborns of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all of the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor there ever will be again. But not even a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And we see here again, God is going to put his hedge of protection around his people through the ceremony of Passover. God protects and saves them. So in chapter 12, then Israel is to prepare for the Lord's judgment by sacrificing a lamb. You see this in verses three to four. They're to take the lamb and they're told in verse four that that the lamb should be enough to feed the people in the house. So if you're a small household, maybe it's just you and your wife and and you haven't had any kids yet, you would go and get together with your neighbor so that lambs were not wasted and you would share in the Passover lamb. But you needed to celebrate this inside the house. Verse five, it says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You take it from the sheep or the goats. It shall be kept. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. So at some point early, you know, you pick this lamb early on. 
Uh, almost like some of us on Thanksgiving, right? We pick out our turkeys and we go to the store and we look for just the right size and you do the math and you're like, okay, I'm having 15 people over for Thanksgiving and the average amount they eat per pound of turkey, okay, I'm going to need a 20-pound turkey or whatever it might be. Or maybe I'm going to need two turkeys or, or whatever. Well, they pick out this lamb. It needs to be without blemish so they would have inspected it, uh, meaning no defects. No impurities, nothing on it injured. Like you can't just be like, well, you know, this lamb has a broken leg and it's not going to make it. So I'll just give this to God. Uh, It's no, we're going to look for one without blemish. Uh, It probably would be one that was uh, spotless in in its uh, coat as well. So it it would be uh, all white in that uh, respect. And this is a symbol of the purity needed uh, in the land. So they eat the lamb, uh, and as, as they eat the lamb, they need to eat it with a readiness uh, to leave. So they're supposed to, verse 8, roast this lamb on fire, uh, not eat it raw, and not boiled in water. And I think one of the reasons for the cooking it over the fire uh, is a reminder that it's a sacrifice. And you think of how those altars in the Old Testament would have burned uh, various sacrifices. Then you eat it with the unleavened bread. So the unleavened bread is bread that has no yeast in it and hasn't been given time uh, to rise with the yeast. Uh, You eat it also with bitter herbs. Verse eight. Let me make a comment about the unleavened bread. It's also symbolic of impurity or purity. Uh, It doesn't have the yeast permeating it, but it's also symbolic of time. When you make dough, and and usually Friday nights in our house is pizza or stromboli night, and my wife will make dough, and she puts yeast in it, and she puts it in a bowl, and she covers it with a warm, moist towel, and then you have to wait. So there are times where, you know, she's busy and working and out of the house, and it's my night to make uh, the pizza, and I come home at 5 o'clock, and I'm like, all right, let's make the pizza, and I realize we're going to have to wait for the dough to rise, even with the fast yeast that they have today. Uh, and it's my own silly fault. Unleavened bread, flat bread, if you will, doesn't need to rise. And this is in part symbolic. God is saving them now, and it's time to go, and they don't have time to sit around and wait for the bread to rise to have their meal. This is, a, this is an act of trust, if you will. God is saving them and they need to be ready and and jump on this, if you will. You don't get to sit around and say, well, God, you know, just just let me wait till my bread rises. It's no, let's eat the meal and go. We see this in the verses um, where it, it says they in Exodus chapter 12, verse 34, it says, so the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls, and they bound it in their cloak on their shoulders. So even the food that they're taking to go, they grab their bowl, they grab the bread, the bread's not risen, and they just go on this exodus. You also see it in how they're how they eat it. They eat it with their belt on. They eat it with their sandals on their feet and they eat it with their staff in their hand. This would be like us, you know, if you if you rush in, you keep your jacket on, you keep your hat on because you're ready to run out the door. You just grab some food real quick and you go. Uh, one of my daughters uh, just this week, a couple times before school, I'll come down in the morning and say, are you ready to go to school? And she'll say, yeah. And then she'll go, let me put my shoes on. I'm like, 
That doesn't mean you are ready. Ready for school means you have your shoes on. I say it's time to go and we run out the door. And this is the idea. They need to have this faith as they're taking in this meal to say, God is ready and saving us right now and we are going. Jesus has one of the disciples, uh, one that's unnamed, who says to him, you know, just just hang on, Jesus, I'll I'll follow you. Uh, Let me just go back and, and bury my father. And what does Jesus say? Let the dead bury their dead. Now, Jesus wasn't being cold hearted. Jesus wasn't being uncompassionate. He wasn't saying, don't love your father and and take care of them. But it's an illustration that when it's time to follow Christ, you let everything else go and you focus only on Jesus Christ, that nothing is more important than the Lord Jesus, that nothing is more important than in participating in his redemption. And so if you hear that the Lord Jesus Christ saves the sinner that believes in him, that Jesus has died and those who put their trust in him will be saved. You you don't sit there and say, you know, that that sounds really interesting, but my life is kind of busy right now. Uh, I'll wait a week or two to to really get into this Christian thing and then start going to church. I'll, I'll believe at a later point. Brothers and sisters, friends, you may walk out this door and die today. I hope none of you do. Uh, I don't want to do a funeral over Memorial Day weekend if I can help it. But the point is, you and I don't know. I could die as I walk out the door today. You can't put off following the Lord, believing in him and then even walking in service to him. And this was a reminder That they had been in all of this slavery. And then God is ready to deliver them. They can't just say, well, you know, I have a few things yet I need to do. The second thing is they eat this with bitter herbs. The bitter herbs were a reminder of the bitterness of slavery. Uh, We're we're not talking like, like sour patch kids or sour things where you just, you know, the sour warheads where you, you, you know, suck on it a little bit and you make those faces. We're talking like really bitter herbs. And, and you would say, why would you want to eat that? Why would you want that in your celebration every year? Because we are quick to forget the trials in our past. And we are quick to forget what the Lord has done us. You think about Israel and they go through all of these plagues and they were crying out to God and they cross the Red Sea and they get to Mount Sinai. And what do they do? They grumble. They just got out of Egypt. They just got out of their slavery. They just had the heavy burdens lifted off of their back. And then they complain to Moses and God how quickly we forget. And we do that in our lives, even as Christians, how quickly we forget what it was like when we first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that first love, that passion that we had, that excitement, that thrill of hearing the message of the cross and knowing the burden of my sin is lifted off my back. Sometimes we we look back at our life before we were a Christian, and sometimes we even find ourselves saying, You know, I wish I was back there. 
because it was so much easier. I didn't have to worry about what God wanted me to do. Or sometimes we're going through struggles in our Christian life. We look back and we say, well, you know, I never had these struggles when I was a a non-Christian. How quickly we forget. Brothers and sisters, we take communion regularly so that we might not forget what the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has done. There's a a warning in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3. That those of us that have heard the gospel, that we not let our hearts become hardened. That that we not let it become old hat. That we not let our stubbornness crop up just like it did for the generation that was in the wilderness. Who had seen all of these things. Who had experienced this very first Passover and they got out there and they forgot the goodness of God. Don't. Forget the goodness of God in your life. Then finally, at the meal, the leftovers are burned. Uh, they're not saved. Uh, I, I know some of us that have lots of kids, you know, you make a big meal. And what do you do with the leftovers? You put them in Tupperware containers and you put them in the fridge and you save them for the rest of the week. Maybe, maybe some of you that don't have kids uh, because you're making smaller meals, you still have even more leftovers uh, and you put leftovers in. There are no leftovers for this Passover. And if there are, they're supposed to put them in the fire and burn the rest of them all up. It's kind of like when you're on a camping trip and and you pack your food in and you either eat it or you put it in the fire the day that you're leaving because you can't just scatter it around and let the bears get it. Well, the idea here is they're not going to have leftovers because they're not going to be around. So this burning the food that they have left, I think, is a reminder. Hey, we're getting out of here. There is no like hedging your bets, right? Well, if God doesn't take us tonight, we'll have some leftovers for tomorrow night from this lamb. This is this is a sort of hand to the plow moment. Eyes forward. We are heading out. We are not looking back. What do we learn from this? Notice that Christ is our Passover lamb, as we've been saying. So, John one twenty nine, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1 Corinthians 5.7, For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 1 Peter 1.18 and 19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. So you were were bought with a price, and the price was not silver, the price was not gold, it wasn't money, it wasn't physical things. But what does he say? 1 Peter 1.19 But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. This is why the lamb was spotless. Because Jesus Christ, when he brought the ultimate sacrifice of his own life, he would have no sin so that he could pay for our sin. He had no unrighteousness in him. No evil thoughts or desires or deeds so that he could take Our place. Notice the language of redemption. You were ransomed. You were bought. It's the language of being liberated out of captivity. What happens at Passover? They are redeemed. They are bought out from under 
the slavery, slavery to Pharaoh. And we've been delivered from an even greater slavery, slavery to sin. Jesus is this lamb without blemish that was shed for our sin. Two things you need to know that were necessary about the Lord Jesus Christ. One, he had to come as a true human with flesh and blood. So Jesus is the eternal son of God, but the way that he is able to become the the image of the lamb for us, he obviously doesn't become a literal physical lamb, but he becomes a true human being with real human flesh and real blood. In his earthly life, Jesus bled. If Jesus fell down while he was running as a boy and scraped his knee, it wasn't like Superman, you know. No bullet can pierce his skin. Nothing can, can damage him. He's, he's the Son of God. It's He's the Son of God who humbled himself and took on human flesh. And so he skinned his knees. He probably got runny noses. He had blood flowing through his veins and a human heart. So that when he got up on that cross, his blood was shed for you and I. The second thing you need to know is that in his true humanity, and I've already said this, he committed no sin. First Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Peter, uh, the book of Hebrews says we have a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. So he is absolutely like us in being truly human, with human DNA, with human blood, with human chromosomes. And yet he is absolutely free from the stain of sin and lived in his earthly life, absolute perfection, so that he could stand in our place, not having any sins himself that he needed to be punished for. He could say to the Father, I stand for them and will pay for their sins. Notice here as we keep going uh, on the Passover, the blood of the Lamb Uh, protects the believers. So what happens on Passover? So they they sacrifice this lamb and it says in verse seven, and they shall take some of the blood, uh, put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So you'll put it uh, one or two, you know, a little splash on the one side of the door, a little splash on the other side of the door. and, And the lintel is like that beam that goes across the top. If you've ever if you've ever built anything like a brick house, you know, you can't just stack bricks across. You put some kind of beam that the bricks can sit on. Uh, Maybe if you've ever done a stone house or you've been to those old colonial stone houses, you might see a giant log or wood beam stretched across the top. That's the lintel. And you put you put some blood there. Uh, And it's symbolic that the blood is covering then this house. So the house then and the people in the house, it's like a little sanctuary, uh, a little um, uh, bunker, if you will, so that when the Lord is going throughout the land of Egypt, he sees that blood. It's almost like a, a, a mini sanctuary tabernacle. There are people in there are safe. And then he says, I will pass over it. I will not come through and judge and bring judgment. So uh, Exodus 12, 21 and 22. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood. So it's like a spongy type thing. 
uh, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of his house until morning. So you stay there in the house. And the blood is a symbolism of cleansing. Uh, it's interesting that when they uh, uh, consecrate uh, the Levitical priests later on in the book of Leviticus and, and in the book of Exodus, they are told to dip them in blood. This house is consecrated then as a sort of sanctuary that is a sign and a symbol that the hand of God will be for protection. Because these people, by faith, have sacrificed this lamb. There's no intrinsic power in the physical lamb or the physical blood of the lamb. But by faith, they have trusted that in doing this, God will protect them. And so God is going to go through the land, striking down the firstborn. You've seen this in Exodus 11. Let me just point out where it's repeated. Exodus 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. God is executing judgment. He is going to finally defeat the gods of the Egyptians. And the Pharaoh himself, who is considered the son of God, will be humiliated and defeated as his firstborn is put to death. And you might think, well, you know, this sounds really unfair. This sounds really brutal. Let me respond to that with a couple things. One, Pharaoh was given ample opportunity to repent. Over and over and over again, he was warned. And Pharaoh said, I don't know who this Lord is. And God had walked through nine plagues to show his power. And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. Second, the punishment fits the crime. Pharaoh is oppressing and destroying and beating up God's firstborn, Israel precious nation. Exodus 4.22 Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, and I said to you, Let my son go, that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Now I will kill your firstborn son. The punishment fits the crime. The third thing is this for us foreshadows the coming judgment. God does judge sin and his judgment is just and we need to escape the coming judgment. And the only way to escape the coming judgment is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that lamb of God that was sacrificed on the cross, that his blood has infinite value. And if you will just place your trust in him, his blood covers your sins, just as that blood covered the doorway of the house. You see this again in Exodus chapter 13. Later on, all the firstborns are dedicated to the Lord. Why? Because God protects his children. And his children, the nation of Israel, were like the firstborn, the most precious of sons. God saves them. Notice that God is also the destroyer in this passage. Uh, Exodus 
4 and 5, about midnight, I will go out in the midst. He says, I will strike down. Exodus 12:23, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses as to strike you. What's fascinating here is God plays both roles. God is the judge who is going through the land and will strike down the Egyptians. He is the destroyer going about like like in other passages where the angel of the Lord sometimes brings judgment. It's the presence of God. And yet God also says, I will not pass over. He says, I will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer. I think this suggests perhaps the Trinity is at work in the Passover. That they are working together. That there is both judgment and protection. There is both wrath and grace. You think about how this works for us. Who judges sin? God. God judges sin. But who is the gracious one who sends his son to die for us, to make a way for us to go to heaven? God. We should never think that in the Old Testament, God was mean, nasty, and cruel. And in the New Testament, we have now Jesus, who is loving, kind, and merciful. We should never separate this out. As if we could divide the attributes of God. As if we could pit the Father against the Son. The Scriptures say what? For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will be saved. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in the demonstration of that love, he says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? Uh, So we be saved by him from the wrath of God, meaning when the blood of Christ covers you, you are saved from the wrath of God. Just like when the Passover lamb was covering that house, God himself would pass over, shield that house, not let the destroyer, not let the wicked, uh, not let the striking down happened in that house but would pass over it and strike down those who did not have faith and those who didn't believe in God and put the blood over their home. God is both the judger of sin and the redeemer. The question for you this morning is this. Do you know God as a judge or as a savior? The natural state of man The way we all come into this life is under the curse and the penalty of sin. We stand guilty before God. We compound that in our lives with sin. We rebel against God. The scriptures say for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians Ephesians 2 says that we are by nature children of wrath. That in and of ourselves, this is what we deserve. But God who is rich in mercy, sent his son to die for us. And the only way of truly knowing the love of God is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and that Christ died for sins. The Passover means everything to us. 
because the Passover is ultimately fulfilled as God passes over the judgment that we deserve and covers us in the blood of Christ. And we get a righteousness from Christ, his perfection and earthly goodness that he lived is given to us as if we ourselves had been living righteously. He wipes away our sin and he gives us the credit for how Christ lived. And we enter the presence of God. This is what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think this morning how every year the people celebrated Passover. And we're going to celebrate communion. And we don't have any bitter herbs for you to eat this morning, uh, but we do try to get uh, unleavened bread. We, we don't use wine, although we could, but we use the fruit of the vine. We use some grape juice. And it's a reminder of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think about it. These elements were in the Passover right from the beginning. And it wasn't until the Lord Jesus Christ came and on the Last Supper said, this represents my body. This represents my blood. That all of the pieces of the puzzle fell into place. That the Passover wasn't just about coming out of Egypt. It was about God delivering us from sin. Look, sometimes we we read the Old Testament and we say, it's boring. I I don't get it. There There are hard parts in the Old Testament. There are hard parts in the New Testament. But the Passover, the Passover applies to you and I if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing is this. Remember. As you take communion today, remember You're taking the symbols of the broken body and the shed blood. This is what it cost for your salvation. God deciding to save a people, he then had to send his son to pay the penalty for our sins. So that God could both judge sins and punish them and wipe the slate clear. And take you and I and wash us and cleanse us. These elements are just symbols. It's a memorial meal. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. But as you take these in, you and I are to be reminded of deeper spiritual realities that go on. That I have communion and fellowship with Christ. That spiritually... I have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The things that Israel did in very physical, tangible ways, putting blood on the doorways, uh, the priests you know, dipping their fingers in blood or having blood sprinkled on them, that's done for us spiritually. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm glad it's spiritual rather than physical. I'm not a big fan of, of blood and, and those sorts of things. But the realities are no less real. How do I know 
I'm forgiven. Ask yourself that. How do I know my sins are washed away? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away because of the elements that these things symbolize. Christ's body was broken for you on that cross. His blood was shed for you. Let's pray and then we'll start taking communion. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence today, we just pray that you would give us a solemnness as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we remember the Passover. May we even think about our own hearts, Lord, how prone we are to wander, how often we need this memorial meal to remind us of the great cost. We live in a a distracted age. We live with distracted hearts that pursue all sorts of delights and desires, that look for all sorts of encouragement and, and upbeat things. And the most positive, clear, rewarding, refreshing thing there is, is to know that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins and has cleansed us and we can go to heaven. Help us not to be like the generation that wandered in the wilderness, stubborn and slow to learn, slow to remember, quick to forget the past, quick to ignore all that you have done for us in redeeming us. As we partake of communion, we ask that you would build us up spiritually. As we take in these elements, remind us of what they really mean, what they really point to. Christ had a physical body and it was broken in brutality for us. Christ had physical blood that was shed out so that my sins could be paid for. He lost his life so that I could live and enjoy the presence of God in heaven. Lord, we can't repay you back, but help us in just this small way to faithfully remember and delight in what you've done. Renew our hearts. Return us to that first love for Jesus. When we first saw and were captivated by how much Jesus Christ had done for us in shedding his blood, remind us of that feeling, that passion we once had. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to